I printed out for you guys the text. That's because there's a lot of text today. And so if, if I stand and read it for all of you, um, I understand if you may fall asleep. That's fine. It's a lot to cover. But why I printed out the text for us is because you know, part, of, part of preaching, part of being a pastor, is not just can I tell you all the correct things. It's can I also teach you to pay attention and to notice and pick up on different things in the text. Chapter 26 has a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of different events. You're going to see Jesus gets uh, plotted to kill against. He's going to get anointed. He's going to get betrayed. He's going to have the Passover. He's going to have the Lord's Supper. He's going to have Peter deny him. It's a lot of things that will happen in a very short amount of time. And just like we've been in the past couple of weeks, uh, really, I mean, the whole book of Matthew, we've been paying attention to what is Matthew trying to get across to his audience. The other gospels tell us there's other little things that take place in this time frame that Matthew doesn't record. Uh, I think John records a couple things a little bit differently. John actually puts some details in there that Matthew doesn't. So it's, it's not like they're talking out of two different sides of their mouth. They're intentional in what they're communicating and why they're communicating it. So why I put the, printed out the text and put it in front of you is to say there's three things we're going to pay attention to. As to remembering, okay, we've been on this kingdom kick the past couple chapters of what God's kingdom looks like and what it's all about and why Jesus is trying to hammer these things home for them. So here's what we're going to do. Thinking about the kingdom and watching all these details, and, and again, there, there's a lot we could dive into into some of the details and some of the numbers and some of the events and the order of the events and all that that I'm just not going to be able to cover today. Because there's a lot of text. Three things to pay attention to, and I've put this on the front of your page. Underline wherever Jesus gives a purpose statement, right? Where, he, where he'll say things like, this will happen so that blank. Or this was done to fulfill blank. Or you've heard it said blank. Like, just picture, try to pick up on wherever Jesus gives a purpose statement and underline it, Okay. And as I'm reading it, as you see it go, oh, there it is, Whoosh, underline, all right? Then circle, circle wherever Jesus makes a proclamation, where he says, one of the common phrases is, truly I say to you blank, or I tell you blank, okay? He's, he's making a statement about something that's going to happen. And then I put draw wavy lines, but feel free to, you know, use your artistic artistic talents, just another form of underlining or putting brackets or something around wherever you see Jesus, uh, somebody misses what Jesus is talking about, okay? Because those, those three things together are going to kind of clue us into what is Jesus trying to show us? Why is Matthew recording these details and these things about what Jesus is doing? And then the last one kind of helps us see our place in it and our struggle to get it, okay? Um, hopefully you've got a pen. If you need more, I think there should still be some at the back. And I tried to print out enough copies of the scripture, so hopefully you've got that in front of you. But I'm going to read it, and rather than give you the main idea up front, I'm just going to let you guys kind of hear and try to pick up on where you think Matthew's going. And then, again, 
Uh, this, this, this is not homework. There will be no grade at the end. So don't worry if I'm highlighting things and you go, oh, I totally missed that. And I trust you guys will probably pick up on some things that I don't, right? Because you're reading it through eyes that are different than my eyes that's been staring at the same piece of paper all week. And so sometimes another, another set catches it. So I'll read it. You guys see if you can pick up on these three things where Jesus gives a purpose, a proclamation, and where people miss it. Beginning in verse 1, chapter 26. When Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said to his disciples, You know that after two days the Passover is coming, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. Now when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him thirty pieces of silver, and from that moment he sought an opportunity to betray him. Now, on the first day of the unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? He said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. When it was evening, he reclined at the table with the twelve, and as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful, and they began to say to him one after another, Is it I, Lord? And he answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? He said to him, You have said so. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, well, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. And Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. 
And Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. So Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to the point of death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father... If this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. And he came to the disciples and said to them, sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, the one I will kiss is the man, seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, greetings, Rabbi, and he kissed him. Jesus said to him, friend, do what you came to do. Then they came up. And they laid hands on Jesus, and they seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you not think that I cannot appeal to my father, and he will at once send me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? At that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? You know, day after day, I sat in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place, that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and fled. We're almost done. Then those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and elders had gathered. And Peter was following him at a distance, as far as the courtyard of the high priest. And going inside, he sat with the guards to see the end. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death. But they found none, though many false witnesses came forward. And at last two came forward and said, This man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. And the high priest stood up and said, have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you, or you know, I command you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, you have said so. But I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, he's uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? You've now heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? And they answered, he deserves death. 
Then they spit in his face, and they struck him, and some slapped him, saying, Prophesy to us, you Christ. Who is it that struck you? Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, Hey, you, you also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, This man, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly you too are one of them, for your, your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Father, we are grateful for your word. And just as we sang earlier, God, we, we declare today that we will take you at your word. Father, that, that the, the word that you have, which John tells us, is embodied fully in Christ. Father, you have called us to, to trust who you are and what you have said and what you have promised and what you have revealed to us. Father, just as we've also been singing this morning, we see your nature, that you've also called us to trust that. You, you have told us who you are. You have told us what you're about. You've told us what you desire of us. And Father, you have also shown that to us, both in the person of Jesus Christ and in the spirit at work in our hearts. Father, we confess to you today, as we will see in your word, we often try to pit these two against each other, the Word and the Spirit, the Word and the nature. But God, just as you taught your people to declare, the Lord our God is one. Our God is one. Father, reveal to us today where we may be struggling with this. Reveal to us today how we can hold these things together Father, we believe we are made in your image. We are made to do this. Show us how. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay. Thank you for sticking with me and for keeping up with that. I hope you were able to scribble and, and take a bunch of things. Um, so let's walk through it. All right. Let's look first at the different purpose statements Jesus makes. So keeping in mind all of this is kingdom-driven that Matthew's been on the past few weeks. Now we're hitting all these details, and Matthew's going to stay in this vein. Um, here's what he's going to show us, just to give you the big picture. All these purpose statements are going to reveal God's kingdom is founded on his word, right? That everything that, that we should underline is, I, I'll give you a couple of the ones I've pointed out, but we should see this. God's kingdom is founded on his word. If you look first at verse 2, you see that Jesus tells his disciples everything that he's saying and doing is actually fulfilling something that was already said, right? He's pointing them back to the Old Testament, uh, places like Deuteronomy 21, Isaiah 53, right? Things that show us that the Son of Man celebrating the Passover, being betrayed, being crucified, all of this has been prophesied. What he's doing is he's telling the disciples, look, this is, I'm not necessarily doing a new thing, for you, I'm fulfilling what has been said. What I am doing, right, this kingdom work that I'm about has already been taught to you. It's in the word. 
If you look at verses 7 through 12, when Jesus has his feet anointed, or not his feet, his head, anointed by the woman with the oil, he points out in verse 12 that she's done this to prepare me for burial. But there's something cool about what's going on, right? And this one is is a little bit trickier. But the word Messiah, especially the Hebrew word in that Old Testament, it means anointed one. So when Jesus tells the disciples, look, she is right to anoint me. He's trying to clue them in, hey, from your understanding of what the Old Testament talks about, right? What's the Messiah? Fundamentally, the Messiah is the one who's anointed. He's saying, look at what she's doing. She's anointing me. What do you think that tells you about who I am? Jesus saying, remember the word, right? That's going to tell you who I am. She's right to anoint me. I'm the one who is the anointed one. The next next one, and and this one doesn't really have a, a statement attached to it, but if you look at verses 14 through 16, Judas betraying Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, that is another Old Testament prophecy. Um, That one actually comes up a couple different places, Zechariah 11, Jeremiah 19, Jeremiah 32. Again, Matthew, now he's not even putting in the purpose statement, but his audience, right, they're, they're starting to hear some of these Old Testament themes. When Matthew puts that detail there, they're going, there's another, there's another one right there. There's the Old Testament making its appearance. In the next one, verse 18, Jesus says, you know, go into the city. They're preparing to eat the Passover. He says, my time is at hand. My time is at hand. That is a statement that whenever you hear Jesus say something like, my time is at hand, um, he's saying, I'm about to fulfill something, right? There was something planned for me to do a long time ago. Watch as I now do it. And what this is in context of is important. They're about to eat the Passover, right? The Passover, this is going way back, but some of y'all may remember when we went through Exodus, we saw the Passover for the first time. In chapter 13, right, as God is getting his people ready to take them out of Egypt, he gives them a Passover as the Holy Spirit goes through and it put to death all the firstborn of the Egyptians. But it was God's way of saying, if you put the blood over the doorway, right, that you will be saved from the, the angel of death coming through. It is a picture of God saying, my son, my sacrifice will deliver you out of the slavery of Egypt. Now, Jesus is telling his disciples, you remember that? Watch what I'm about to do. It is now time for me to be that sacrifice for you, which is why they're celebrating the Passover together, all right? And then he kind of clues them into this later when they have the Lord's Supper together. You look down at verse 28, and Jesus, why is he telling them to, to take the bread and to drink from the cup? He says, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins, right? They would have known there's a lot of covenants in the Old Testament, right? God shows up, makes one with Abraham, makes one with Isaac, makes one with Jacob, makes one with Moses, with Noah, with David. He may, God is a God of covenants, right? He comes up and says, this is who I am. This is what I'll do for you if you will be this for me. Uh, so when God does this here, when Jesus says, this is a reminder now of my 
covenant, Jesus is saying, hey, you know that picture you saw about God in the Old Testament? Watch as I am now about to do the same thing for you. And then again, he gives them like a, a chance to, to notice this and to practice this in verse 31 when they go away to pray. And Jesus tells them, hey, some stuff is about to happen, right? But this is important. Verse 31, he says, for it is written... I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Jesus saying, what's about to happen, it's coming from the word. Then in verse 54 again, when Peter gets it wrong and he draws out the sword, he cuts off the ear, he says, put your sword back. Verse 52, verse 54, why? How then should the scriptures be fulfilled? That it must be so. And then again, verse 56, all this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. So there's a pattern, right? Matthew is saying these things are not accidents. These things are not random. What Jesus has been doing as he's been walking the disciples through this and trying to reveal to them who he is, he is getting across. His kingdom is founded on his word. If you want to know what the kingdom of God is up to, you have to know his word. Plain and simple. But that's only one of the three things I had you look at. All the purpose statements tell us Jesus is saying, hey, watch as I fulfill the word of God. But there's another piece to this. All right, let's now go back. Let's look at the different proclamation statements that you, you guys found out. Because what he's going to do is Matthew's showing us not only is God's kingdom founded on his word, but where does God's word come from? We're going to see God's word comes from his nature. So you've got the kingdom is founded on the word. The word comes from his nature. If you look at the, the story or the, the part where Jesus is being anointed, you see that he adds at the very end, verse 13, right, there's that, that phrase I told you to watch for, truly I say to you. He says, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Which I love this. And I love Jesus' little, little you know, jab at the disciples in verse 11. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. He says you're always going to have a time to take care of somebody's need, right? You're always going to have an opportunity. There's always... We live in a broken world, right? There is always going to be an effect of brokenness. He says, don't, don't get spun up on that. Be with me. And he gives the proclamation piece to say, it's, she's not going to be testified about because of all the good things she did or because of all the you know, correct things she figured out on her own. She, we're talking about her today, right? We're still talking about this lady. She has been proclaimed in the whole world what she's done. She anointed Jesus. She proclaimed who Jesus was to those around. What Jesus is doing in this minute, guys, is he is showing them, not only am I fulfilling what the word was about, I am now teaching you, and this is what you do with the word, right? I have shown you, I've come up, I'm doing these things to fulfill what has been said, and I am now telling you what to do with it, right? As I fulfill the word, what do you do with this? You are now proclaiming who I am to everyone else. He's providing an interpretation. You could say a lens for the future based off of how he fulfills the word. 
And then again, verse 18, all right, I pulled out that phrase, my time is at hand. I'm curious, some of you may have underlined it, some of you may have circled it. You can actually do both with that one. Because when Jesus says, my time is at hand, it means two things. He says, watch as I fulfill what was said, because <laughs> I'm about to show you what now to do for the future. Again, Jesus saying, "My eye, you know, keep your eyes up here, right? You see me. I'm showing you what the word was all about, and I'm now showing you what do you go do with this. And he ends with another proclamation statement in verse 29. He says, now I tell you. I will not drink again of the fruit, this fruit of the vine, until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom, right? I'm fulfilling the word, and I'm telling you what's going to happen with it next. Verse 45, same thing. Jesus says, see, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man will, is betrayed into the hands of sinners, right? I fulfill the word, and I'm telling you what's going to happen with it. Verse 64, and again, but now on, I, I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven, right? I am fulfilling something that was said in Daniel 7, and I'm now telling you what it's going to look like. And Matthew really kind of does this little Jewish trick of changing that pattern at the very end because you see jesus tells peter peter you're going to deny me peter says jesus you're you're crazy i'm not going to deny you in the slightest and then verse 75 matthew writes peter remembered the saying of jesus if we were staying in the pattern, every time Jesus has been pointing to, to Scripture, it's been an Old Testament prophecy. But now Matthew shows Peter pointing to Jesus' words. Now Jesus' words are being fulfilled. What does all of this mean? God's kingdom is founded on his word. But what we're watching is Jesus show up and say, I'm not only going to show you what the word was talking about previously, I'm going to show you what it looks like to actually live it out. That if we're going to be in the kingdom, right, we need to know the word of God. But we also need to know what, I've, what I'm calling the nature of God, right? Because Jesus living out the character of God is now showing, hey, that prophecy said this. There's probably 50, 60 million ways you could have taken it, right? Watch me, because I'm going to show you what this was really talking about. This is what he says over and over and over again. Actually, one of them that I may have missed, but I'm thinking about it because I read it this morning. Uh, when he's praying with the disciples, what does he tell them to do? Verse 38, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me, right? Look at me, because I'm not just telling you, oh, this is what that means. I'm now telling you, and here's what you do with it. So those are, the, those are the first two pieces. His kingdom is founded on his word. His word comes from his nature. The last piece I had you do the whatever you chose to do, squiggles, your artistic powers. Hopefully those got to come out. How do we miss this, okay? And I wrestled with, you know, should we do a little bit of application before we get to this piece, but I'm, 
I think you guys have picked up on. I like to paint the whole picture, and then you step back and look at it. So let's, let's add this last little bit, all right? We're seeing we got to have the word. we got to have the nature. What does it look like when we, we miss this? There's two different groups of people here that miss it. The chief priests and the elders, and even his disciples. And we're going to see they miss it for the same reason. Because at the end of the day, his kingdom is not about us. Which I know most of you know that. But just hear it again. God's kingdom is not about us. Let's see where that comes from. If you look at verses 3 through 5, you're going to see that the elders and the chief priests plot together to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. Not a good plan they're putting together. What made them that angry against Jesus? Verse 2, Jesus tells the disciples, You know, after two days the Passover is coming, the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Put yourself in the chief priest's shoes for a second, okay? The chief priests, what was their job? Their job, they're at the temple, they offer sacrifices on behalf of the people, right? Which kind of, you know, gives them a little bit of spiritual authority, gives them a little bit of power that the people need them to offer sacrifices on behalf to God. What's going to happen? They know the word, right? They know the word better than anybody else. What do they know about the Messiah, the Son of Man, the Son of God? When he comes, what's he going to do? His death is going to become the sacrifice that covers everyone's sin, right? For all who put their trust in the Messiah, for those who follow him by faith, his death is going to stand in their place. So what, what's going to happen is the Son of Man sacrifice is going to replace the temple sacrifices. Well, if you don't need the temple sacrifices anymore, who's out of a job? The chief priests. So when they know the word, Right? They should have been celebrating. Thank you, God. We're going to get to live to see the word of God on display in front of us. And yet, they are so threatened by what the Messiah is going to, what the Messiah means, how that's going to change them. They are, would rather see him arrested and put to death. Because it's too much about themselves. Even gets out of hand if you look in verses 57 through 68, that whole mock sham trial that's going on there. They're trying to get false testimony against Jesus. That phrase, which I believe is in verse 58, nope, false, uh, false testimony, verse 59. That phrase there is only used one other time in the scripture. It was actually back in Matthew 15. And it was used in context, if you guys remember my, uh, my vivid analogy of your, uh, your poop is filtered, but your vomit is not. If you remember that, that it's what comes out of you that makes you unclean. It's the verse that's talking about how when the heart is wrong, everything is wrong. So Jesus says what these chief priests are actually looking for, clearly their heart is wrong. Their heart was bad. Oh, they know the word of God better than anyone else. And yet they are totally missing it because their heart is all about themselves. But this is not just a struggle because it's easy to pile on on the chief priests and elders. 
but the disciples also miss this, okay? If you look at the whole story where Jesus is being anointed with oil, the disciples, we're told in verse 8, they're indignant. Why this waste? This could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. The Gospel of John notes, this is Judas, who also happens to be the treasurer. And Judas likes to skim a little bit off the top. And so he's kind of disappointed that this big lump sum could have come in. He could have taken a little bit off the top if it had come in. It's not there. So how is Judas missing what Jesus is doing? It's all about him. Dang, Jesus could have had a little extra in my pocket if you had let that happen. Nope, he missed it. But it's not just Judas. The other guy we love, Peter, Peter misses it a couple different places. You see, Jesus says, I, I love how bold Peter is sometimes, guys. Jesus says in verse 31 and verse 32, he says, this is what's going to happen. And Peter tells him, no. This is not the first time we've seen this, that Peter has the gall to tell Jesus, hey, I know you're telling me what your word says, but come on. Look, Jesus, I have been with you for three years. I think I know you better than your word knows you. There is no way that that's going to happen. And then again, when they're in the garden, I think it's, it's wild. I don't know if some of you guys may have been curious about this, but when Judas comes, Matthew tells us that he comes with a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests. And then Peter also has a sword. We're told, I think it's in Luke, that Peter is the one who has the sword and cuts off the ear of the high priest. Why is everybody bringing swords to a prayer meeting? Unless they expected the meeting to be about something else. I think we've talked about a couple different places in Matthew. They're expecting Jesus' takeover and establishment of a new kingdom to be a physical earthly one. So Judas thinks Jesus is going to you know, take over the Romans. or the Je- Je- I don't know who Jesus has taken over, but he's taken over somebody. And so he's probably going to come with force. We should bring force with us. And Peter's sitting there going, well, Jesus said his time's at hand. I'm expecting him to become a king. He's probably going to have to kill somebody to get the throne, so I better have my sword. Right? They, they who have walked with Jesus, they've had these personal encounters with Jesus for three years. And yet, because they don't know the word of God to see what God is actually trying to do, they show up with swords, right? Both of these groups, whether it was they knew God, they knew his his actions, they knew what he did, but they didn't understand his word, that would be the disciples, they missed his kingdom because they're focused on themselves. The chief priests know the word of God better than anybody else. But when God's nature shows up and it's convicting and it's uncomfortable, they're also out. Here's the full picture of Matthew 26, guys. God's word is the foundation for his kingdom. Right? You cannot know the kingdom of God if you do not know his word. But his word comes from his nature. You cannot understand the word of God without knowing who God is, without the spirit of God within you. These two things are inseparable. And where we try to separate it is where we make it about ourselves. Just to give you 
a little analogy to help us think about application this morning. When we do the CDL test at transit, there's three parts to the test. You have to first do a pre-trip inspection. It takes 30 to 40 minutes where you're walking through, pointing out all the different, you know, this is the alternator. It is secured to the bus. The bolts and clamps are present. Uh, I do not see any brakes. It is belt driven. There's a, there's a whole script of everything you have to say. Then there's a reversing portion where you have to do some skills tests, and then, then you go drive the bus for a little bit. By the time the trainees get to the CDL test, they know how to drive the bus. Right, the reversing and the driving is not the part we're concerned about. It's the pre-trip inspection. A handful of times, we'll do the test for a mechanic, and that actually ends up being the easiest part for them. But the hardest part to nail down is the inspection, because most of us don't really know what's under the hood of our cars. And even if we did, it is very different staring at the back of a bus. Okay. So to prepare a trainee for that, we give them three resources. One is a, a, uh, a similar, it's not an exact copy, but it's a similar version of the script that they're going to have to use for the test, right? Because they need to know the language. They need to know. When I talk about this thing, I have to point out it's clean, secure, not cracked, correct color, no condensation. Or this thing over here, I have to point out all the hoses and clamps are attached. It has no, no leaks, no dripping there, right? So we give them a script. We also give them a PowerPoint of pictures of where everything is, right? If you've never seen an alternator, if you've never seen a water pump, if you've never seen uh, the hydraulic fluid reservoir on the bus, you need to know what those things are. So we give them the pictures. But then we also give them a video of one of our former trainers who walks through and does, says all the right language, and shows them what the inspection looks like, okay? And I thought that is just so perfect for where each of these groups is either at in their faith or what Jesus is trying to get across. Because some of us in our faith backgrounds, we come up so focused on the word, right, that we forget about the spirit of God. We've got the script. We've got the script memorized. We know all the correct answers. And if a trainee only studies the script and they walk out there to the back of the bus, they go, oh, um, uh, I know all the correct answers, but I have no clue what to do with it, right? I, I know what to say about the alternator, but I have no clue where the alternator is. If you point to it wrong on the test, it's, it's not correct, even if you say all the right things. If you point to the wrong thing, you get it wrong. They know the script. They don't know what to do with it. That's the chief priests. And that's some of us today, right? If we know God's word inside and out, Apart from his nature, we don't really know what to do with it. And so for some of you, you may be like a trainee that's only studying the script. And you have to say, okay, I may know the word, but I also need to learn the nature of God so I actually know what to do with the word. Some of you guys, though, that's not you. You're more like the trainee who's only been looking at the PowerPoint right? Similar to the disciples. They've had all these experiences with Jesus. They have seen Jesus in action. They've watched him. But because they don't really know the word, they're struggling to fit the picture of what they've seen in Jesus. They're, they're struggling to see how that applies to anything other than what they've walked through, 
right? This would be like the trainee who goes, all right, I know the pictures of everything. I can tell you exactly where the air compressor is. I can tell you exactly where all the hatches are. And I know how to, you know, this is the handle that opens and closes the window. I know this stuff. But they get there, and they have no clue what they're supposed to check with it, right? You got the picture, but you don't know what it does. You might be able to guess, because if you can see that there's a, you know, a hose or a, a clamp or a pipe, you might be able to know, I should probably talk about leaks. But you don't really know, because you've only seen the picture. You've never looked at the word. Some of you guys, that may be your experience with faith. You have had genuine, and I'm not discounting anything, genuine real experiences with who God is. But if it is not tied to the word, then what do you do when you come up something you haven't experienced? Or how do you talk to someone who has an experience that's different than you? Because we're seeing here the foundation of God's kingdom. Jesus says, look, everything I am doing is coming from the word of God. What the best resource is. And we tell the trainees, look, you need to read the script. You need to watch the PowerPoint. The most helpful thing is to watch the video. To watch one who knows the script perfectly and knows the vehicle perfectly go out do it. And this is what Jesus has done for us. He's telling his disciples, I know the word. I'm showing you what the word is. I also know what you're supposed to do with it. I'm going to hold these two things together for both of you. So as we conclude this morning, church, the two questions I had I've kind of already given to you how is your knowledge of the word, and how is your knowledge of God's nature? And I want to add one little piece to this, okay? Because I think there's, there's a cool picture of the Trinity embedded in this. John tells us in his gospel, at the very beginning, Jesus is the word of God, right? He says Jesus is literally the living embodiment of God's word for us. So if you're talking about the word, you are talking about Jesus. If you're talking about knowing the nature of God, and Jesus tells us, well, I will, when I leave, the helper, the spirit, God's literal nature will come inside of you and dwell. You can kind of start to see where if we're trying to learn out who God is, you've got God the Father, we're trying to learn and understand this. You've got the word in Jesus Christ, and you've got the Holy Spirit in God's nature. We need both. But the piece I don't really want to fly over this morning is you, <laughs> you can't have one without the other. You also don't have either if you don't have faith, right? That if we receive the Holy Spirit out of our faith in Christ, then all this just becomes a wash if your faith is not in Jesus Christ this morning. And so this may be for some of you, this might be your needed first step, right? If you're saying, okay, Jordan, I get that there's, there's brokenness, I see things that aren't right in me, I see things that aren't right in the world, and I'm hearing that there is, there's, you know, however it works, there's an intentionality and there's a design to this life that God has given me, I want that. It starts with faith in Christ. Jesus clearly, as he's working with the chief priests, he's telling them, you don't know who I am, therefore you're going to miss everything. 
So this morning, some of you may need to say, okay, to know a life of purpose, a life of direction, a life of redemption from brokenness, salvation from sin, deliverance, freedom, healing, all of this, that's where that whole it's not about us comes into play. Because this is not something you can do on your own. This is something that comes through our faith in Jesus Christ. And so again, when we have our prayer time this morning, there may be someone who says, and that is where I need to start today. But for those of you who already know Christ, then I ask you to consider where are you at? Would you say, I've probably been more focused on my experience and I need to grow more in the word? Would you say, I know the word really well, but I'm still learning to know what to do with it? And I want to encourage you this morning, church, I would, I would hazard a guess to say we have both groups in this room. That is the beautiful part of why we gather together in the local church. Because there are some of you who have experiences and just have that spiritual language in place that for someone like me, who probably grew up more word-focused, it stretches me and it, it challenges me. And yet it helps me grow in the image of God to see that. And I would hope for some of you too, you know, you're sitting going, man, there's a, <laughs> this guy talks more about the word than I've probably used to hearing. And it's not to, to discount, but it's to help you tether that experience to the true foundation of the kingdom. So it is a joy and an honor to get to be with you. And I hope you see that, that beauty that if you have a struggle that's different than someone else, that's why we get to be together. We round, so like we are talking about it, Mike and Valerie's wedding last night, right? We round each other out. We graciously restore one another when we struggle. And man, do we help one another grow together. So as you consider where you are at this morning and what your response needs to be, let me pray for you. And we will sing one more time. Let's close with this. Oh God of love. I approach thee with encouragements derived from thy character. For I am not left to feel after thee in the darkness of my nature, nor to worship thee as some unknown God. I cannot find out thy perfections, but I know thou art good, thou art ready to forgive, thou art plentiful in mercy. Thou hast displayed thy wisdom, thy power, and thy goodness in all thy works, and hast revealed thy will in the scripture of truth. Thou hast caused it to be preserved, translated, published, multiplied, so that all men may possess it and find thee in it. Here I see thy greatness and thy grace, thy pity and thy rectitude, thy mercy and thy truth, thy being and mine, the heart of man. Through it thou hast magnified thy name and favored mankind with the gospel. Have mercy on me today, Father, for I have ungratefully received thy benefits, little improved my privileges, made light of spiritual things, disregarded thy messages, contended with examples of the good, rebukes of conscience, admonitions of friends, leadings of providence. Father, I deserve that thy kingdom be taken away from me but I praise you that in Christ that has not happened. Lord, I confess my sin today with feeling, lamentation, a broken heart, a contrite spirit, 
self-abhorrence, self-condemnation, self-despair. Give me relief by Jesus, my hope. Faith in the name of Savior. Forgiveness by his blood. Strength by his presence. Holiness by his spirit. And let me love thee with all my heart. Father, we are in awe of how you hold your word and your nature together through Christ and through the Holy Spirit, through who you are. And if we've been made in your image, you have called us to do likewise. And so, Father, as we praise you, man, if, if we even just need to be silent and not sing the words just to let your spirit have time to work, may we do that. And Father, may as we are singing your words out and forget about whether we feel like we're singing them right or not or whatever, Father, may your spirit move in us to convict us, Father, of how we can hold these things better together. And we praise you, Father, for a church family this morning that we get to do this in, that this is a safe place, this is a stronghold that we get to have as we walk on this journey with you. In your name we pray, amen.